0: It is uh, truly a pleasure to be here. My name is Jim Cofield, and uh, I really consider it an honor to talk to you this morning about what I consider to be just a wonderful story that we find in Second Samuel. Before we go there, just a couple of things as a way of of uh, of conversation, if you will. You never know how this goes, how this is going to go, when you're with a, a congregation that you don't know very well, though. I hear wonderful stories about you from Jeff, and there's also people here that I, I would consider friends and colleagues that I really get a, get a chance to know a little bit about Orangewood from. But you never know. I, I, I've told this story before. I've even told it to the parenting class I taught here one time. But it's always kind of funny. You think you're coming across one way, and then often you come across another. There was a time when my son Pierce was out playing outside, and I decided to go out and you know, say hello and to all the kids in the neighborhood and came out, and, and all the kids scattered They all went away, and I said, "Pierce, what's the deal? I mean, you know, what's what's the deal? Why'd they all go away?" And I'm thinking, "Well, because you represent Christ, uh, you are the you know." But and he said, "Well, Dad, you're you're big, and you have that beard, and it looks like you've been drinking all day. (laughs) So you think you're going to come across one way, and in fact, you're coming across a completely different way." this morning there 's so many reasons for us to look at this passage well, we're gonna, I, I have just a privilege to speak with you for, for two weeks and in these two weeks we 're going to look at an Old Testament passage this week, a new pas- a New Testament passage next week and we 're going to look at some of the same ideas: the way that you see yourself and the way you think God sees you, the way you see God and the way God sees you, those four issues will determine how you live your life. I was watching a young man play tennis just yesterday. And he was, he was playing a, someone who was, was probably a little bit better than him. But he could hold his own. But you could tell he started to feel like, I can't do this. I can't pull it off. And sure enough, the way he saw himself determined so much of how he ended up playing out the rest of that time. And we're going to look at some stories in, in the Old Testament this week, New Testament next week, that talks about this, the, the incredible importance of understanding who God really is and how he really sees you and understanding your identity in him and understanding who you are in him because you will be faithful to the images that you carry of yourself. You'll be faithful to the way you see yourself. And part of the idea of having a, being a new creature as a Christian is seeing yourself the way God sees you as opposed to the way you might have seen yourself. Now, what we're going to look at in just a few minutes is a story war and all of us at some level are in a story war, you're gonna hear the story of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is found in 2 Samuel, and it's really a pretty obscure, uh, if, if you look at about 27 verses, you'll pretty much get all of Mephibosheth. In five different places, in 2 Samuel, you'll get everything you need to know about Mephibosheth. But it's an amazing story. And we'll look at that story together and it's a story war, and what I mean by that is if you stop Mephibosheth in the beginning of the story, or even in the middle of the story, he would say his story is about abandonment, a king that can't be trusted, living a life, of obscure life as a crippled person that doesn't get a, didn't get a break. And that would be the story he would tell of his life, at least till some point. But God was telling a different story with Mephibosheth. Much like our own lives, many of us think our story is about struggle or failure. Or God is telling a different story. And there's a story that, a story war going on to see whether or not you ultimately believe the story he's telling with your life or the story that you're falsely living out with your life. And we're going to find that in the middle of this great passage in Second Samuel. So that's kind, of, that's kind of what we're going to do today and what we're going to look through. Um, and I, I think you'll find this to be absolutely just rich, rich material. So if we could, if we could pray together first, because I'm a little nervous, if we could pray together, because it's not about me at all, uh, then I'd like us to look at this passage together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage together, would you leave no stone unturned in us? Would you disrupt us today? Would you entice us today? Disrupt us from the false ways that we live and think. Entice us with your grace and your mercy. Entice us with your person. Entice us with a different way of living. So, Father, disrupt and entice this day. Use this time. There's no one here by accident. We've all been brought here together for this time Now change us, meet us, teach us. We ask in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the passage we're going to look at is in 2 Samuel 9, and it's the story of Mephibosheth. It really doesn't start here, though. You may just want to mark 2 Samuel 4. 2 Samuel 4 is where we first meet Mephibosheth. He is the son of... Of Jonathan. And when, and when Jonathan and Saul are killed, there's panic. What is this new king David going to do with all of us? Because what would have been normal of the time would be when a new king takes over, you clear house. And so everybody was afraid. What would this king do? And they'd been told probably negative things about about King David and what he might do. And so they ran in fear. And the nurse in charge of Mephibosheth, he's five years old, picks him up and they flee. As they're running, she drops him and he becomes crippled in both legs. So we have the story at the beginning of this passage is a story of a man, of a young boy, running from what he thought was an evil king and he gets crippled in both feet. You get the story so far? Now, let's pick it back up in 2 Samuel 9. David asked, first verse, David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant in Saul's household named Ziba. He called him to appear before David, and the king said, Are you Ziba, your servant, He replied, the king asked, is there no one still left in the house of Saul whom I can show God's kindness? Zeb answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's in the house of Makur, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makur and the son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan and son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay honor to him. David said, David said Mephibosheth. Your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is it, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson, everything that belonged to Saul and his family, you and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him, bring in, him, bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your, ma- of, of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, and because he ate at the king's table, and he was crippled in both feet. Now, we're going to look at some other passages in a few minutes, but let's just, let's just talk about this story up till this point. Now, what you've got is a story... Of A promise made by Saul to Jonathan, if you want to go, if you want to make note and this would be a great thing for you to study this week, if you just think you know i'd like i 'd like to, to to fill this out just a little bit if you go to first Samuel eighteen you 'll see where you 'll see where Saul makes a promise uh, where, where, um, excuse me where, where Jonathan and David come together and, and, and make a covenant, and it 's in that covenant that Jonathan, that David says to Jonathan, I'll take care of your families. There's such a a, a commitment, such a covenant, a promise made, a promise made that he said, I'll take care of your families. You don't need to worry, I'll take care of it. Now, here we are years later, and we find David king now. Jonathan's gone, Saul's gone, and he says, is there anyone? Anyone anywhere in my kingdom that I can show God's kindness to, that I can show because of for Jonathan's sake? Is there anybody that I can be faithful to, anyone out there that I need to be faithful to because of my promise, my covenant? And there is. There's this crippled guy in hiding, in exile, afraid of the king. Now, I don't know what, I don't know how you live your life. I know I'm I sometimes misunderstand who God is often and I sometimes live my life afraid of him. A lot of us do. That's what a lot of our addictions are, a lot of our a lot of the ways we live our life are based on a false understanding of who God is. We we think God is one thing so we kind of run off. We run off. We don't live honestly before him. We we don't live honestly before anybody. We live in our secrets. We live we 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 pretend. Jesus didn't die on the cross so I could pretend. But yet I do. And I'm like Mephibosheth, I've run off because I misunderstand who the king is. So Mephibosheth, misunderstanding who the king is, lives in Lodabar. It's interesting, Lodabar is a, that word can be translated to um, land or or no pasture, or no rest, or no promise. The idea that, where did he go? He went to a place where there was no rest. Our addictions, our running will give us all that it can, and, and, and nothing more. It'll give you second best. It just, it, it, can't give, it can't give you everything. And so that's what we do. We run to Lodabar. I don't know what your Lodabar is. I don't know where your, your back country is. I don't know where your far country is. But we all have one. We all have a place where we go to, because we think we can take care of life better than God. We, we misunderstand who he is. We think he's mad at us. We think he's going to, we, we, we think that because of our thoughts, because of some of our actions, maybe because of some of our past. Maybe some of the things that we struggle with that we'd held no one. Maybe it's some of our secrets. But for whatever it is, many of us live our lives afraid of him and pulled away and living in secret. So we don't tell anybody who we really are. We don't live in such a way that is compelling or intimate or honest. We, we just hide, hide in a place that's safe, but there's no rest. You can live your life safe if you want to. Just don't love anybody. You can live your life safe if you want to. You can get a life that's really neat and orderly. Just don't love anybody. But if you really want a life that is compelling, um, to begin the process of, of trusting this king, trusting this God, and see how messy life becomes then. But it's, so you can have safety if you want, but there's no pasture in it. There's no promise in it. And that's where he lived. So Mephibosheth, off to the side. Why? Because the way he saw himself and the way he saw his king. How did he see himself? Remember what he said to, to, to King David? What did he call himself? Called himself a dead dog. That's not, that's not something I would call you. Uh, hey, you dead dog, you... Um, But he called himself a dog before somebody. Don't we sometimes live that way? We're so faithful to the images that we care of ourselves. I'm so stupid, I can't believe I did that. You ever say that when you're alone in the car and you make a bad turn? It's an image you carry of yourself. I'm just... Those those images are often things that that we have committed to in our lives or that people have given us. And and we're so faithful to those images. (laughs) He, He saw himself as a dead dog and saw the king as someone who wasn't safe. No wonder he lived in exile. No wonder he lived in a place of no pasture. He misunderstood who, stood who he was and misunderstood who the king was. But men and women, I would suggest to you that many of us, Christian people, kind of know the basics, but many of us still live very much like Mephibosheth. We live and we misunderstand who we are before God. We misunderstand who he is. And therefore we live a A life in exile, or a life that's really safe, or a life that's really vanilla, or a life that touches no one deeply, and that's Mephibosheth—a misunderstanding of himself, a misunderstanding of of, of David. Now, also in the story. Now, we could there's there's ten sermons in this. We could do, and this is what we talked about in our equipping time earlier we could just talk about the idea that we should be promise keepers. We should pr- keep promises that we should live as a covenant because it's an amazing story to hear how faithful David is to the covenant that he made with Jonathan. We could spend an entire sermon just talking about the idea of a, the covenant and to live as a covenant instead of a consumer. But most of us live our lives like that's the basic, basically a consumer that says, I'll do what I ought to do if you do what you ought to do, but you have to do what you ought to do. And God doesn't live that way. God is a is a covenant God that says, I'll do what I'm going to do whether you do what you do or not. It's not based on, on, on my fulfillment. It's based on, on commitment to the relationship. Now, we could talk about that because that's a picture of that in here. There's a the picture of David living that out that even years later, he says, how can I go pursue, what can I do to, to fulfill this covenant? Please note that David got, could get nothing from Mephibosheth. There was no benefit for him. This is a crippled guy that couldn't go work and couldn't be in the army, couldn't go work in the field. The only reason he would pursue him is because of the covenant that he had made, the commitment that he made. So we could end today and just say, wow, let's look at the, let's look at the idea of the value of the covenant or the value of a promise. And that would be a sermon in itself, and it would come straight from the text. So, and, and we would leave here saying, let's be people who keep our promises, Let's live the way God does in covenant. And that would be a, that would be a, a valid point. But I think you'd miss something that's, that's just so exciting in this passage. Most, most theologians will tell you that, and since I'm not a theologian, this is what they tell me too. Um, <laughs> they would tell you that, that, that scattered, peppered throughout the Old Testament... God has woven history, has, has, has woven history like a tapestry to show pictures and images of himself. Now, none of these pictures are perfect. Moses isn't a perfect picture of Christ because he's Moses. Abraham's not the perfect picture of Christ in, in Christ's work of redemption because it's Abraham. And David clearly is not a perfect picture of of Christ, because of David. As a matter of fact, in Second Samuel, the larger picture is a picture of the kind of the rise and fall of David in this in this whole in the in the whole larger picture of Second Samuel, and that and you're beginning to see David make some poor judgment in uh, in in some of the ways he acts. However, there is a great picture of Christ's work when we think of when we think of this story of Mephibosheth. We think of if you would if you would imagine, if you will, that this is one of those pictures where where it, it's, it's historically true, it is accurate that, that David and Mephibosheth, and he sought out Mephibosheth, but it's also allegorically true. It's also a picture of, of the redemptive work of God, and that there's a, there's, there's, this, there's a picture here for us to see that will remind us about, not just about David, but about our relationship with God. Does that make sense? Now, what are some things we can learn as we look at, what can we learn about the king from this story? Well, first of all, notice that the king is incredibly generous. Um, Notice the generosity of King David. He doesn't just say, come on along. You can hang out here at the house. He restores him. The restorative nature of, of, of the way that David deals with Mephibosheth. Do you realize that we have a restorative God? Do you realize that he is a redeeming, restoring God? That, that part of God's work in your life is not just to get you by, but it's to restore the broken and lost places in you. That he is a restorer. He is a redeemer. He takes what is lost and, and molds it and moves it to something that brings him glory. There is nothing in your past. There is nothing in your past There is nothing in your past that is not redeemable by our God. And you find David. He's a restorative king. He restores Mephibosheth. Now, that foreshadows us to our God. And he is a restoring, redemptive God. Next, notice what a pursuing God he is. A pursuing king David is. David pursues Mephibosheth, he doesn't just wait and say, you know, when you get a chance, I'm going to send out a notice. I'll send out an email, a text message. And, uh, and if anybody gets it, tell them to come on down to the kingdom and uh, we'll sit around and chat. He, he seeks him out. He brings him in. Our God is a pursuing God. David is a pursuing king what it teaches us about our God is he is a pursuing God. He pursues you. Sometimes, sometimes I wish he didn't pursue so much. Sometimes I wish he'd just leave me alone. Give me some blessings and then just get off my back. Let me not worry about my neighbor. Let me not worry about how I really parent or let me not worry about how I I deal with my wife. Let me just, sometimes what he offers me is so much more than what I really want. Notice not only is he a restoring God, a redemptive God. Notice that we see from this story that the picture of David, then therefore the picture of Christ to us, is that he is a pursuing God. Also, notice he's an extravagant extravagant king. Over the top. Part of our problem isn't that we think too, we we dream too much, or we think too much. It's that we just settle for too little. That's why that's why pornography works. It's not because we want too much of something. It's because we'll settle for something that doesn't really, isn't really even real, to try to get it to satisfy our soul. It's not that you want too much. You just settle for too little with an extravagant God who pursues and restores, who's gracious. And I'd much rather settle for a God who just gives me what I want, leaves me alone. Wow. <laughs> what a sad place to be when you're offered a place at the table and instead you find yourself wanting instead to be a servant. So we could end, the, we could end our sermon now. And many of you are saying, Please do. <laughs> Some of you are saying, he's already told us he could have ended the sermon twice. Don't make us listen anymore if you could have ended the sermon already. We could end the sermon now and just go home and say, wow, what a picture we're, we've been given of our God as we look at this. What a picture of, 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 of our God as we see David foreshadow and give us images and echoes of what Christ is like in this relationship we can learn things about who he is and who we are, and and we can just celebrate that. And we we could walk away and say, "I, I, God is not calling me a a, a dead dog. He's calling me His son. He's inviting me to His table." And we could, and, and that's what we could camp on. Oh, please note the way that Mephibosheth is not just given a place in the castle or a place in the kingdom. He's given a place at the very table as a son. He is treated as his very own son. I think the intimacy of the gospel scares us. I think if we really kind of believed all this, and we don't, we believe about 20% of it. I just made that number up. I don't really know what percentage (laughs) we believe. But if we really... The, the, the level of intimacy that's invited—that David would say to Mephibosheth, not just "Okay, I found you. You were in the woods. Come on out of the woods. You're not be in the woods anymore. You're not be in exile. That'd be good. We'd all be happy with that." But he says, "I'm going to invite you to sit at my table, and you will be—you will be—you'll have everything at my table. I will treat you as my son." Wow. You know, one of the universal issues is, do you belong or not? a Conversation with someone the other day, and they just felt they just were like, I just don't feel like I belong. I don't think you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't feel I belong anywhere. Do you understand that you, if you know him, you belong? That, that one of those universal questions of the soul has been settled? You belong? Huh, you belong. To him, Mephibosheth now is no longer in exile, no longer a dead dog, no longer just a crippled. He's now a chosen child, a chosen son, who sits and eats at the table. And we get in there, and there'd be a lot that that would be great. But I just want to add one last bit to this story that is just that is just fascinating to me. And that's the interplay between Ziba, Mephibosheth, and David. Because for me, as I look at this passage, I find myself understanding Ziba much more than I understand Mephibosheth. Now, you remember Ziba. Zeba's the servant. Now, Ziba's kind of feeling a little bad because David didn't really even know who he was. Remember at the beginning he said and he said yes I'm your servant. So so it's not like he's the favorite servant. It's not like David knew all about him. Mephibosheth comes in and David says, "Ziba, take care of him." Now, here's the problem a lot of times. Most of us kind of give our lives to Christ with this idea of, "God, I'll do this and then in exchange you make my life good." And and God is saying, "Is that all you want?" That's not what he's promising. He's not promising that your life will not have struggle. He's promising you'll sit at his table. He's promising he'll be with you always. Because the drama then takes off in this story. The story doesn't end at the end of this chapter. I mean, a lot of times, a lot of sermons on this end on this right here because it's, it's a great place to end. But the story continues, and the story becomes intriguing, and the story has betrayal, and, and, and it's an amazing story. And if you understand what takes place next, I think it'll, it'll teach us quite a bit. Here's what happens next. If you go to... If you go to 2 Samuel 16, which you'll find in in verses 1 through 4, what you find there is that that David is out in battle. And Ziba goes out and brings him all sorts of stuff. He brings him food for the soldiers. He brings him donkeys for them to walk on. I mean, they didn't walk on the donkeys. They rode on the donkeys. Uh, And so he brings all these supplies to him. And then basically David says... Hey, what's the deal with Mephibosheth? Where is he? And, and this is kind of my translation of it direct, directly from the original text. Mephibosheth, he's a no-show. I'm out here bringing this stuff to you. And, and so there's, there's, the, there's the moment. Now, David uh, just takes, takes Ziba at his word. See, Ziba's a servant, not a son. And let me tell you what servants do. Servants are always trying to cut a deal, They serve God for what they think they're going to get out of it. What am I going to get? What am I going to get? Always cutting a deal. You ever in a relationship with somebody who's always trying to get an angle on you? Always trying to sell you something, do something, get something from you? That's the servant. Servant mentality is Ziba. Ziba goes to David and he he kind of hits a home run. He leaves Mephibosheth back back at the house. He goes out. He helps. He gets points. And basically says to David, I don't know, that Mephibosheth, what can you do with him? But here I am being your faithful servant. And so David, not knowing the whole story at that point, says, I'm giving you you everything that belongs to him. Now, he keeps his word, he's going to be able to stay at the table, but he loses the land and all that sort of stuff. So Ziba goes, yes, I have manipulated my king to get what I want. I have made my king do what I want him to do. I got it covered. And so, what happens next? Well, if you go to the next passage, and this is amazing, we're almost done, so just stay with me. In chapter 19, 24 through 30, you find that Mephibosheth, David, comes back. And I'll pick up verse 26. Oh, I'll pick up verse 25. When he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? You know, why didn't you go out? Where, where were you? Were you, in fact, a no-show? And he said, my lord, the king, since I am your servant and I am lame, I said, I will have to have my donkey saddled and will ride it so that I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me, and he has slandered your servant before the lord, your king. My lord, the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever pleases you. What, what David says to Mephibosheth, "Where were you?" And he says, I, I, "I was, I was lame. I was trying to get the donkey set so I could ride him out there, and and Ziba left, and he betrayed me." So David then says, um, "Why say no more? I order you and Ziba to divide the fields." little controversy in that passage. This is the beginning of some poor judgment on David's part. But he did then give um, he g- gave half the fields back. Now listen to this next line because I think if you get this, you'll understand the difference between a servant and a son. Mephibosheth said to the king, Lord, let him take everything. Now that the Lord, the king, has arrived home safely. At the end of the day, the servant's just in it for what they can get. At the end of the day, the servant says, I want my stuff. At the end of the day, the son says, forget the stuff. My king's home. Forget the stuff. My king is home. You can have the stuff. When I I read that passage and and I see the shift from a man trembling in a place with no pasture to a place to a to a man saying to the king I don't care about the blessings I just care about you my king it blows me out of the water I so much more want to be a servant cuz I can control it if I'm a servant I can set the agenda and at the end of the day I'll figure out a way to get blessings Oh, Mephibosheth, he's ahead of me. Crippled Mephibosheth, he's ahead of me. Because he's realized it's not about blessings. It's about belonging at the table. It's about knowing the king as your father. I don't think this story means much to you unless you understand who you are in it. The way we're supposed to read narratives... Is stories The way you understand a story is stories, they, they, um, they, they show us instead of tell us, and we have to get into the story to understand kind of what it means. And in this passage, almost done, in this passage, what you find is the story of a, of a crippled child that could give nothing really back to the king, that the king pursued and then made him his own. And at the end of the day, this crippled child celebrated the king. I'm going to show you a clip right now that many of you have seen before. It's a clip of a father who goes and does Ironman races. An Ironman, in case you're not familiar, I know a lot of you just assume I run an Ironman by looking at me. (laughs) Um, An Ironman is 2.4 miles of ocean swimming, 112 miles bike riding, followed by a 26.2 marathon run. I was going to do that this afternoon after the service. (laughs) Um, There's a father who, uh, who now runs and takes his crippled son with him on his Ironman. And until you understand that you are crippled and that the God of the universe straps you on and carries you through, you don't understand the story of Mephibosheth. And so, if you would, watch this clip for just a few minutes, a quick word, and then we're finished. Son or servant, who are you? You're a crippled, broken but chosen child in the hands of a good and powerful God that doesn't save you in order to use you. He saved you and brought you to his own because he loves you and he wants you to eat at his table. Amen.